Bert and I have the privilege of opening God's word and sharing with you what God's laid on in my heart. And so what I want to do is invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. We're going to be looking primarily at two verses, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which give us our outline in, the, in your bulletin there. But the rest of those verses really just um, explain Paul's um, argument here about comfort. That's what we're going to be talking about today, comfort. And so as you're finding your place, um, I, I just want to share with you on this Mother's Day, we think a lot about comfort from our mothers, right? We praise God for our mom. That's the purpose of Mother's Day, right? And I, I think of uh, just growing up and how much comfort I received from my mom. One of my earliest memories are running to my mom because I had a need, right? Either, you know, bloody wound, needing stitches, uh, missing toenails from a bike wreck, um, falling out of trees, breaking bones. I'd go to mom, right? Never went to my dad. And I'm starting to learn this now as, as I have my own children. There's something different about a mother's comfort, right? Can we all kind of agree on that? You go to mom. I'm not saying every case is that, but I didn't really fully recognize this until I had my own children and quickly realized that as a dad, I'm apparently not good enough. Um, this happens often, right? Children fall down, they cry, they get up, they run towards you, and you stoop down to get them, and they run right past you to mom, right? Dads, I don't know if you can relate to that. Recently, I had an illustration of this. It reminded me once again. Uh, my son Cooper and I were sitting at our kitchen uh, island, and we were just enjoying a snack together, and he uh, leans and yells down the hall where my wife is busy working, and he says, Mom! And I'm sitting right next to him. So I look at him and I'm like, dude, what do you need? I'm, I'm sitting right here. I promise I can get what you need. I can help you. What do you need? And he looked at me and he said, I need mom. <laughs> and I saw a teaching opportunity come here, right? We don't scream down the hall at mom. We don't ask her to do things when somebody else is right there. Many, many things we could learn. And so as I was processing how to help him understand this, my wife came down the hall, and, and then in my mind I'm thinking, well, maybe this is something only she can help with. Maybe there's something that he has a question about. Well, as she comes out of the back of the house and asks Cooper, he says, what, what do you need, Cooper? He says, could you get me a glass of water? <laughs> and, you know, that's one of those moments where I'm just kind of like, mm, now we have a teaching opportunity here. But you, you, you kind of see how a mother's comfort is different. And I'm not sure if the water tastes different because mom presents it. Uh, it must be something different. But there is something about a mother caring for you, helping you, right? And that's really our theme here in this passage. You see the words comfort and affliction over and over again. And interestingly enough, every time you see affliction, you're going to see the word comfort, um, almost as if God's saying, we've got it covered, right? And so we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and understand when trouble comes, what do we do as a church, as believers? What do we do in receiving that comfort and responding in an appropriate biblical way to trouble? 
So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So you you see this over and over again, right? This theme of comfort. And Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to establish the believers in Corinth. Um, to strengthen them as they acknowledge their own weakness. That's a theme in 2 Corinthians that we see over and over again, is that Paul is pointing out his weakness and saying, in my weakness, we see God's strength, right? And Paul suffered a little bit, right? If you turn over to chapter 11, you'll see just this list of things that he went through, persecution, trials. Um, And what he is saying is, You need to place your hope, your very dependence on God in your weakness to rely on God for strength, not on yourself or anything else for that matter. The church there was troubled by false teachers um, claiming to be apostles who had scorned Paul. And they did so because they saw his weaknesses. They, They saw the afflictions he was going through and pointed to that and said, oh, that must mean that you are not an authentic apostle. And so Paul is, is teaching us what comfort is. Normally we think of comfort as a sense of, of ease, luxury, pleasure, a soothing or a consoling, right? Which is part of comfort. There's the element of encouragement. When we comfort others, we encourage them. Exhortation or help. And those are all good and true. I want to pose to you today that Paul is adding this this element of comfort that is for God's purpose in comfort that we as believers need to be aware of, and that is to strengthen us, right? To give us stability, steadfastness, assurance. You could say it's an inner strength that God alone can give to us. And so as we look at the afflictions in life, right? Trouble that comes, the burdens that you feel in your spirit, all the pressures of this life know that there is comfort to apply and that God gives us that comfort. You can't help thinking of Job, right? Job went through so much and he was being tested and he didn't understand what was going on. He said, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. That's one way of putting it, right? But trouble comes. And that's That's a given, isn't it? I don't think I have to make that argument to anybody. Trouble will come. 
trials come, suffering comes, and it's all to really help us understand and be prepared that life's going to be hard. And we can definitely benefit by knowing that and being prepared ahead of time. And in the end, we see that Job did receive comfort from the Lord, not by God having to explain himself to Job, but by God leading Job to repentance for questioning his design. God does this by reminding Job of his own weakness and God's majesty. Um, it's, it's amazing to read through Job and just to understand who God is. That alone brings comfort. God says to Job, who is this that darkens my counsel? Who speaks empty words without knowledge? Raise yourself up, brace yourself like a man and answer me. And then he proceeds to tell Job who he is as God. And to his credit, he replies in repentance. He says, I am of small account. I have uttered things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me. I place my hand over my mouth and repent in dust and ashes. What a response to who God is as he gives us comfort to strengthen us. That understanding of God and who he is helps us. And so, Paul is saying that God's design for your affliction is to spiritually strengthen you, to enable you so that you can be prepared to strengthen others in their affliction. That's a key obligation that we have as a church, and we're going to look at that. It's to steal yourself, right? To, to brace yourself. Be ready for what God has prepared for you. Peter, in his letter, says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We need to anticipate hard things are coming. And I know many of us are experiencing those right now, right? Maybe you are waiting for God to bring that comfort. You're waiting for him to reply. Much like the psalmist and the prophets, they often ask God, How long, O Lord? They know that he's going to help them, but they're wondering when, right? So that's important for us to recognize life is hard, but we need to recognize that God is there to give us comfort that will strengthen us. Gary Miller is an uh, author who wrote the commentary on 2 Corinthians for you. He wrote, comfort in the New Testament includes everything from an arm around the shoulder to a kick in the pants, and this morning, I hope you feel a little bit of a kick in the pants as you understand what comfort means for you. Think about um, when trouble comes, how do you properly acknowledge complete need of Christ and submit to his abundant care, his comfort? How do you receive that comfort that's going to strengthen others? Um, do we as a chapel body, do we respond well to affliction? Does the world that is watching around us say, hey, they're, they're chapel members, and it's amazing the example that they are in this trial, in this affliction that they're going through. And we're going through so much, right? In your prayer lists, you think about so many of our members who are experiencing suffering right now. How are you responding to interpersonal conflict how are you responding to illness? How are you responding to anxiety, to persecution, to sorrow, financial stress, family pressures? How do you respond to exhaustion from the demands of children or work, other daily responsibilities? 
How do you respond to the simple things like poison ivy, allergies, flat tires, right? That's important to know ahead of time. How are you going to respond to that? What's, what's going on here in my life? How can I please God? Because we need to be thinking about how are we responding really to God if God is in this? So I'm going to give you three ways that we can, from this passage here, I know there are so many others, but just from this passage, I'm just going to give you three ways that we as a, a, a church and we as believers in Christ can be prepared and be thinking about responding in this way to the God who comforts us. The first is, when trouble comes, give praise to God. He says right there in verse 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Remember, Paul had already been through it. He had experienced so much trial, tribulation, and trouble. And the first thing he does, after his introduction here in greeting, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a response, right? To be unconditionally giving praise to God as creator, sovereign, almighty God. He's naming God and speaking well of him, regardless of what has happened to him. That's a great lesson for us. We, we should be always praising God. It's kind of like a point that's given. It doesn't really need to be there necessarily, but it's just a reminder. We should be always praising God, but especially during our trials, we need to be naming him. Look at how Paul says, he is the God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, God of all comfort. Think about all of those names of God and what you know about God through those names. That He's the anointed one, the king who rules as Christ. He is God saves. He is sovereign, almighty God. He is an intimate father. He is the God of all comfort. Everything that we know about God is helping us recognize that we need to be praising him because he is worthy. Job recognized this. When, when God addressed Job's complaints, God asked him, should a fault finder contend with the Almighty? And Job immediately replied, I know you can do all things. And even to the point where he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He's giving praise to God unconditionally regardless of what would happen to himself. The prophet Habakkuk came to the same conclusion after really wrestling with God. Was, he was asking, why does evil prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? And in the end, he had to unconditionally praise God. And he said in, uh, in Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom or fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. God, the Lord, is my strength. Regardless of circumstances, we should be praising God because he's worthy. He's also the father of mercies. This kind of talks about him as being a faithful and loving, devoted father, giving us that assurance. We see this in the Old Testament of him as a father or a parent comforting his children. In Isaiah 66, we read that as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. That is a promise from God. In Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And then in the New Testament, Paul and through the church in Ephesus writes, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. All these things are pointing to the fact that he's a merciful father. 
He desires to show his mercy to us. And then he's the God of all comfort. See how Paul is bringing all of these things in to help us understand why we need to be praising God in the midst of our trials. This idea of God of all comfort is this idea of coming alongside to help in a personal way. That word comfort means to come alongside and help. It is an intimate picture, right? A picture of closeness. Comfort that delivers, but also comfort that consoles, comfort that assures, comfort that establishes. So all these things that we're learning about comfort, we need to be thinking about and praising God for. We also see in Isaiah 49, sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Why? For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. We sang about the, the shepherd. The Lord my shepherd leads me. Psalm 23 says, your rod and your staff comfort me, right? These are things we know about God. But think about it, even those tools of rod and staff. They're tools of identity that show us who God is as our shepherd, but also of discipline and correction, of pain administered to correct, right? And yet the, the, the psalmist says, those things comfort me. What an amazing response. Paul had experienced all those hardships, but he had learned to remember and remembered that this is who God is as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And we know this about him, right? We're going through the book of Joshua right now in our normal sermon series, and we're learning about God's character. And we see him as a God of mercy and comfort. And his comfort sustains and strengthens. Paul learned this and he knew that it enabled him to endure, and because of that, he praised God through it and thanked God for it. Our second response when trouble comes rest in the promises of God. Paul continues after he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. It's a statement that he's making based on everything he knows about God's promises. He has promised to comfort us, and Paul is saying, I'm doubling down on that. God has promised that. I have seen it in my own life, and I know, I can be assured that God comforts us in all our afflictions. And you read about this in Psalm 119. If I've, I've never appreciated Psalm 119 more than, than just in these last couple of weeks as I've studied so much reference to God's comfort through his word. And through his affliction, finding comfort because of the promises of God. The psalmist writes, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. What an amazing promise. God's word is the source that we need to go to to find that comfort from God, right? That ability for us to be able to rest in his promises. All throughout scripture, God has given us those over and over again for us to just be able to be ministered in our hearts. We've sang about so much already. I don't know if I felt already that the Holy Spirit was just helping our hearts as we sang because we were singing God's word. We were singing about the goodness of God. And so as we look at these promises of God, I want to just uh, outline a few of them. The first is the promise of his love, right? In Psalm 119, it says, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. Um, all throughout scripture, you, you see over and over again God's love reiterated. Your love reaches to the heavens. 
His love endures forever. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We could keep going on and on, but for time's sake, God's love is great, it is steadfast, it is sure, and he has promised that to us. And so when trouble comes, rest in the promise of God's love for you. Second, rest in the promises of his presence. We know this to be true as well, right? And I will say one thing about Job and his friends. His friends get a lot of criticism for the counsel that they gave Job, right? I mean, I don't know that I've heard anybody talk about how good his friends did. I will say one thing that they got right. They sat with him. And I don't know if you've caught that. They sat seven days and nights with Job without uttering a word. And that's a friend. I mean, that's a friend who is just wanting to help wanting to console, wanting to offer some sort of comfort. And they recognized Job was going through it, and they just wanted to be with him for seven days without saying a word. And then they opened their mouths and kind of botched it. But being present is so important, and God has promised his own presence for us. My favorite verse, Isaiah 41.10, says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a promise that he's going to be with you. In Hebrews, we read about referring to Joshua 1.5, which we just a few weeks ago talked about, God's presence with the Israelites and in going into the promised land. But the author of Hebrews says, Because God said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord's present, his presence is a, a ministry to us. And I will say that that is a reference to the Holy Spirit's work, right? That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as you look at how, how Paul lays out 2 Corinthians, he mentions the Trinity many times. Right at the beginning there, he talks about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort. That word comfort is the word for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, the counselor. And so this Holy Spirit ministry is to come alongside and help and to be with us. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send you the helper. In John 14, he says, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. doesn't get much closer than that, right? He won't leave us. He will be with us forever and lives within us. That is a promise that God has given for his presence to comfort us. And third, we have his promise of his provision, right? This is kind of like a given of the sense that He's promised to comfort us over and over again. He has promised to give us what we need. In Isaiah 51, he says it very plainly. I am he who comforts you. 
Like, I don't need to explain that, right? God has promised that he is the God who comforts you. And we recognize that even in our trials, God, he provides ways of escape so that we aren't overwhelmed, right? In 1 Corinthians 10, we read that. No temptation has overtaken you. You're, you're not going to be given a trial that you are not going to be able to sustain because he will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. That's Paul's goal here for this church is to be able to be strengthened to endure. We also need to recognize that in verse 5 and 8, it talks a little bit more about this comfort that he gives. Let me share with you verses 5 through 8. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That word abundantly means that he is all sufficient in his provision of comfort. He goes on, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know, and here it goes again, that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. That word abundant means that God is sufficient to provide in every one of our trials, our troubles, exactly what we need to endure it. He's not promising to deliver us from that, but in a sense, to deliver us through our strengthening and enduring of that trouble. And also, I might add that I really need to point out that his provision is as one who sympathizes with us through Christ, right? In Hebrews chapter 4, we just turn to that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it talks about Jesus being our great high priest, right? says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Through Jesus Christ's experience as a man, humbling himself, being obedient to the will of the Father and enduring all the afflictions in life. He can sympathize with us in our weakness. And in that sense, God sympathizes with us. He promises to provide for us because he knows what we need. Think about everything that Paul endured in his trials and the comfort that he received to be able to strengthen others. And as he was strengthened, he received more trouble to endure and was more strengthened to help and continue to serve others. In a sense, this is like this ongoing building up of believers. And this is for you. I don't know if you've considered yourself to be in that process of being built up, being mature, coming to maturity in Christ. Um, John MacArthur described Paul as indestructible. Because God constantly comforted and protected him. Do you see how this continues just to grow and grow? Paul was indestructible. What could man do to him? He knew that when God's time for him to go was, was there, he was going to go. But until then, God was in control. And he was going to sustain him, allow him to endure, and then continue to comfort and serve others. 
And he could rest and find peace in the midst of affliction, knowing that God's promises are true. So when trouble comes, rest in the promises of God. Third point, when trouble comes, submit to the purposes of God. He writes in chapter 4 here, or uh, verse 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So that, that's a key word, right? You might be asking, well, why? Why does God comfort us? So that we can comfort others. And in order to do that, we need to submit to his plan. We need to be willing as believers to submit to his will and his purpose for comfort. You're going to endure affliction. You're going to um, have trouble in your life, and God's going to provide comfort for you. What are you doing with that comfort? See it as an opportunity to grow. See it as an opportunity to serve others. But we must submit to the purposes of God in this. Otherwise, we become weak, right? Um, There's a story of a truck driver who uh, was driving along the mountains and a very steep hillside. And as he was driving in the mountains, um, he just really misjudged his speed and the turns and lost control of the vehicle. And the truck went over the cliff, rolled down the hill, and burst into flames at the bottom of the ravine. But the driver had gotten ejected from his seat out of the cab and found himself hanging onto the edge of the cliff, holding onto a bush that was just grabbing the side of the cliff with its roots, and the driver realized that he was in trouble. He couldn't pull himself up the cliff. He was hanging there, his feet dangling. And he finally looked up and said, Is anyone there? And after a while, a booming voice said, This is the Lord. I'm here. How can I help you? And he said, Please save me. I need help. And the Lord answered him and said, I will save you. All you have to do is let go, and I will catch you. And the man looked over his shoulder, and all he could see was the burning wreckage at the bottom of the hill. And he looked up and he said, Is there anyone else? And in a sense, that's what we do a lot, right? God offers his help, and we're reluctant at times to just say, I just need to let go. I need to, I need to submit to God's purpose and his plan and to say, it's not in my own strength, but in your strength. In my weakness, you're going to make your strength great. And I just need to submit to your purpose. Jesus submitted to his humanity, right? Through his humanity to the will of the Father. And so we need to follow Christ's examples. We need affliction in life to lead us to maturity in Christ through the God-given ability to endure by relying not on ourselves but on God. We turn from ourselves and turn to God and others. Um, That's his purpose. Turn from ourselves, relying on our own strength, and turn to God, and in that we serve others. This is really talking about this kind of comfort that Paul um, uses. Um, professor of New Testament, Garland, he explains it this way. The comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a languorous feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain. 
It is a stiffening agent that fortifies one in the heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees, sustains sagging spirits, so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. I hope you're starting to see a picture of true biblical comfort from God. So what is his purpose that we are to submit to? Um, I have several things here that I want to point out. First, his purpose is to strengthen us, right? We see that right away in verse 4, that we are able to comfort others. We must be strengthened in order to do that. In verse 9, later on, Paul talks about just his experience in Asia and how he endured so much affliction says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And so he's strengthening us through our recognition of relying not on ourselves, but on God, maturing us. And then in verse 10, he makes this statement, On him we have set our hope. We've come to a place where now I can set my hope on God. I'm being strengthened in recognizing that that is what I need to do to set my hope on God. In uh, 1 Peter, he writes, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is his purpose for suffering And James as well addresses this, right? He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That is so hard to do, right? You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do we know that? In the midst of trials, it's hard to really know that, right? That's why we need to go to God's word and recognize his promises to us. God's purpose that we must accept is to bolster us. And why? So that we may grow in maturity and conformity to Christ for the purpose of helping others, right? Don't just feel like it is for your own growth. There's another purpose to that, which is to serve. So that's a second point. We need to submit to God's purposes for you to serve others. Right there in verse four, that so that phrase, so that we may be able to comfort those who are experiencing the same kind of afflictions that we are. And so God equips us to serve. That may uh, be a familiar little phrase there, right? We as a chapel used to use that as our model, equipping to serve. Our purpose was to just mature us and grow us for the sake of others. And so God wants us to think about how are we receiving comfort in a way that we are being strengthened but then giving comfort in a way to strengthen others as well. And you might be asking, well, how do we comfort people who are in need? When you come to someone who needs comfort, the neat thing is, if you look back at God's promises, right? God's promises give us really a good outline of what we can do. God has promised to love us, to be present with us, and to meet our needs, right? And that is a good thing for us to be thinking about in comforting and helping others. Love that person. Be present with that person. 
Meet a need that that person has. That is one way that we can serve and bring comfort to others. Love them. Be present. Meet a need. In Romans, we're given a picture of this obligation that we have towards others. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. If you've ever doubted this purpose in God, in his, in his idea of your life, it's very plain. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And in 2 Corinthians 13, this is commanded as well. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. These are all things that we are obligated to do. Comfort one another. Then third, God's purpose is that we share in our sufferings and comfort together. Um, this is the unity of the body of Christ, right? He's pointing to a camaraderie, a brotherhood, something that we share together should be our burdens, right? Um, in 1 Peter 5, 9, he says, Know that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter, what he's doing is he is encouraging the elders and the leaders of the church who might be feeling discouraged and alone by saying, you're a part of an entire body of Christ that is experiencing the same things together. Do you see one another as a brotherhood, as a body of Christ who should be sharing in the afflictions, the sufferings, the pain, the trouble together, but also sharing in the comfort of one another together? Try not to be just a recipient. Be a giver of comfort as well, right? Another way that God wants us to submit to his purposes is through relying on him. Paul said this in verse 9, right? He said, these things happened to us, this sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. His purpose is to turn us away from ourselves and to him. And we see this in, in, in the story of Job as well. As he's having this conversation with God, um, Job really starts having a little bit of a self-reliance or self-righteousness in a sense and argues with God a little bit. And God challenges Job and he says, have you an arm like God? Can you? And he lists this entire thing of how he as God alone can do powerful things, right? And then he says, if you can do these things, then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And it's kind of that given that we're not God. We can't do the things of God. If we could, we could save ourselves. So why do we rely on ourselves? And God continues. He, he kind of rubs it in, right? I don't know if you've read through some of these, and it just goes on and on. And we're reading about God's majesty, and it goes on and on. And as the creator, he describes what sounds like a brontosaurus or some incredibly massive dinosaur. And if that wasn't enough, he, he in detail describes a fire-breathing dragon. And then he says, oh, I made those just like I made you. I'm the creator God. Don't rely on yourself. You've got nothing. You're weak. Rely on me. And he points out, Paul points out a couple things here, that as we rely on God, we need to be mindful of the power of God. 
right? He, he throws this little phrase in here as um, he says that we were given the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And this is just pointing to his credentials as God. We've got nothing on bringing to life, right? We can't do that. God alone does that. He has power over life and death. And it is that same power that rose Jesus from the grave, as the song says, right? But also, in Ephesians 1, we see that. That you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. God who raises from the dead comforts us. That's reliable. And also, we need to rely on God patiently. He, he puts that word in there, patiently endure the same sufferings. Kind of to remind us that it's on God's timing. Our patience is important. And Paul got to the point of desperation, right? He said, my life's over. We thought for sure we were going to die. And it was because God wanted them to rely on his timing. Um, God doesn't ever seem to show up early, does he? I don't know if you've noticed that in your life. I'm not waiting around for trouble because God's right here. I'm normally in the middle of trouble and waiting on his timing. And what is that for? That's for us to rely on him. And he always arrives just in time for his purposes. And we need to submit even to the when of him choosing to send help. And I know some of you are waiting right now, right? You're saying, how long, O Lord? And God is saying, rely on me. Trust in my purposes. Submit to my purpose. James Dobson said, one of the greatest destroyers of faith is timing that does not fit our preconceived notions. So know that we need to be patient, waiting on the Lord, not on our own idea of the timing and how it ought to be. And then finally, Paul says, rely on God through prayer. He says in verse 11, kind of to summarize everything, he's saying, here's what comfort looks like. In your troubles, you will receive comfort. Oh, and you also must help us by prayer so that Many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is exactly what prayer is, right? It's an expression of our need. It's saying, I am submitting to what I know about God as provider. He can answer my prayer. I'm admitting to God that I need help. I'm turning to somebody else other than myself. And so our our going to God in prayer is really submitting to his purpose. And as we intercede for others... According to his will, we're stating we're dependent on God. We're relying on him. And so when trouble comes, man, I think we hit this over and over again, but submit to God's purpose by turning to him in prayer. We need to be doing more of that, and we need to be seeing that as an act of submitting to his purpose. So in closing today, I want to ask you a couple questions as a body. As we think about how do I respond when trouble comes, what is your typical response? 
Are you able to think ahead and to say, man, things aren't looking like they're going to be going so well. What am I doing to prepare for this? Do we complain about it? Are we ignorant of God's purposes in it? Do we try to avoid it? Are we not seeing that God actually wants us to mature and grow and be strengthened through it? Do we properly seek comfort from God, but then fail to serve others with the comfort that we received? Do we just need to praise God more? Am I humbly submitting to God's design for trouble in my life? Am I giving comfort and counsel that strengthens others to endure? As you comfort others, think about what is best for them as they grow and are strengthened in Christ for the purpose of enduring. I trust this passage has encouraged you this morning, um, but also that you feel a little kick in the pants, right, as well. We don't have to understand trouble. We don't have to be delivered from trouble. We just have to turn to God when trouble comes. Give him praise. Rest in his promises and submit to his will. Let me close in prayer and then um, we're going to participate in communion together as a body of Christ. This is a way for us to praise God for his provision through Jesus Christ who endured for you. It says in Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray as we go to communion. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that your great love was demonstrated so clearly to us through Jesus Christ. While we were sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. While we were enemies, while we were dead in trespasses and sins, you and your mercy brought us new life through Jesus Christ. So this morning, we want to praise you for the the way that you minister to us. We want to praise you for the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives as believers, as, as a ministry that is set aside for the church. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here who does not know Christ, who does not know the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the comfort that we can receive through the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that they would understand your love and come to a saving knowledge of you. I pray, God, that, that they would see through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that you have provided comfort that is enduring and everlasting. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.